It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Welcome to Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner from the left and Curtis Lewa who will be coming in in about an hour from the right. So great to have you along. Really big week for me. A couple of guests this week. They're letting me take off the training wheels a little bit. As you saw in the music coming in, they also, Kevin texted me the other week, says, listen, do you want to choose some music for your show? And I feel like, okay, maybe they're going to have me around a little while. I'm not so sure uh, really great week. Great week to be here. Really exciting show. We hope uh, you'll you'll stick around. A little bit gray outside. Good day to be listening to the radio while you're washing your car or dusting off the standings for the Major, Major League Baseball. The undefeated New York Mets, the undefeated New York Yankees. What could possibly be better? Uh, it is really great to have you along. Despite that lead-in, I'm probably the only person in radio that has to rebut the promotional bumper describing me because, you know, I've complained about this before. If you listen carefully to that intro, Curtis Lee was the heavyweight champion, and I'm just Anthony Weiner. I'm not. I'm nothing. And I think it's because, as I've explained before, maybe one version of me was the guy that like liked to punch and fight. Now I kind of see my role here at WABC Talk Radio 77 as to be a little bit different. Someone who sits only gets to be on the radio once a week, and that's a good thing. And I can listen to the hot takes all during the week, listening to the takes of my fellow hosts here at ABC. And I can try to bring a little bit of left-leaning or moderate or progressive context to the conversations. Um, I kind of see myself as being like uh, the hysteria police a little bit or the, I don't know, asbestos for extremism. Or as the hipsters like to say, maybe I'm the Uber but for context. And that's what I like to do. I like to have those types of conversations where we get in a little bit deeper. You've heard the last couple of weeks that I've uh, had a little bit of a deeper dive into the causes of inflation. Last week, went into the rabbit hole of Hunter Biden and um, had a good conversation. Many callers called in and participated in that. And as I've said in the past, that I, I don't see the radio audience is the same as some people do. I don't believe we're a 50-50 country with two sides yelling at each other. I believe that while we do have 10 percent at either extreme – we have about 50% of the country that is partisan, but has a sense of, you know, look, I want, I'm open to new ideas, I'm open to information, and I'm willing to depart from, from the conventional wisdom of my side if I get a better or other information. And then the 30% is people who I think have checked out because they have just lost faith at the institutions of the day, whether it be media, political institutions, financial institutions, that they're not on the level, that the debate is not an honest debate. And hopefully some of those people will start to check in as well. And that's what I liked this conversation to be about. Um, for those of you who want to participate, you want to take the role of Curtis for the first hour, or want to just get in the queue to have a conversation with, with me and some of our, our guests I'm going to describe in a moment, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. 
I'll get right to the thing that I've gotten the most text and emails about. Last week, I described um, I described that Jordan, at the exact time, my son Jordan, 10-year-old, at the exact time that I was on the air, was trying out for his travel hockey team, the first tryout he's ever had. He's only played since September. Many of you know that I have um, played for a long time. He made the team. So if you, can, uh, if you were only listening for that, uh, that was a big news in, in the Wiener household. Let me tell you a little bit about our guests, though, um, that are going to be on on today. Uh, uh, I have to learn to interview. I'm, you know, uh, I'm good at talking, but John Katsimatidis and uh, and and Chad Lopez and the gang here at WABC. So we got to learn to have conversations with people. And I said, you're doing a great job with the callers, but now we want to see how you do talking to to some guests that come on. We have some really great ones. The uh, first up today uh, in a little bit is going to be. Uh, Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress, best-selling author. He's out now with a truly good book, uh, They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. Some of you um, know Jason from his uh, his time on, on Fox. Some of you know him from uh, being in the United States Congress. And a few of you who are historians, whose memory goes back as far as 2016, remember that we were linked historically in the election of Donald Trump. And uh, I don't know if we'll have a chance to talk. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll have a, we'll, we'll, he'll, be, he'll be coming on. And a little bit later, uh, someone who you probably know, if you've been around New York politics for a while, John Faso, former member of the Assembly. He is the lawyer representing the GOP in this redistricting fight here in New York State, which is an interesting one. And it's one that I think we're going to enjoy taking a little bit of a dive into. Um, so that's going to be coming up to, uh, today. I'm looking forward to those uh, to, to those guests coming on, having some conversations that, again, go a little bit beneath the surface of the name-calling and try to get a little better understanding. And hopefully you'll be able to participate in that conversation as well. I mentioned that Jordan made the hockey team. That was big news today. Also, this week, many of you called in last week during the Hunter Biden conversation and said, you know, if you're serious about really getting deep into the Hunter Biden issue – there's no excuse not to get uh, Miranda Devine's book, Laptop from Hell. So I did. I read that this week. Had a little bit of a funny experience with that. I was taking Jordan uptown to visit his orthodontist. Um, and I'm reading the book. I'd come right from Barnes & Noble. And I'm reading the book. And, and for those of you who are New Yorkers, but you don't have to be a New Yorker to visualize, in a crowded train, if you're standing and reading something, that means the person sitting where you're standing is basically has it in their face. <laughs> and so I'm reading Laptop from Hell, the Miranda Devine's book. Again, I encourage you all, all to get it. I, some of it is good. Some of it, I mean, I think I debunked most of it in, in the last show. Um, but I'm, I'm reading it, and the cover of it is this not very flattering, slightly menacing picture of Hunter Biden with a cigarette in his mouth. Um, probably, I think the, the, the photograph is probably from his laptop during his, his rather harrowing time. Um, in in addiction, and it has laptop from Helen. So I'm reading this, and this this older African American woman makes eye contact with me over the top of the book, and she says to me, "Honey, you look terrible in that picture." And I didn't quite understand until that moment that laptop from hell. She thought it was a biography of me. So of course, then I took the cover of the jacket off of the of the book. Um, but I read that book this week. I encourage you all to do the same. Um, and if you're interested in revisiting the last week's episode where I did a little deeper dive into the Hunter Biden and we had a conversation about it and I did what I could to stipulate to the things that I agreed with and debunk the things that I thought were unsubstantiated, um, you can always get the podcast version of this and every other show on, on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Um, you can subscribe. I guess the best way to search for the show 
is just to put in the left versus the right. Because if you put in just Anthony Weiner in your search box, you're going to be digging through, unfortunately, hundreds of podcasts from other people. But uh, we encourage you to do that. And by the way, that's true of all of our programming here at WABC, that if you can't tune in at 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon because you've got something else going on, you can always subscribe to the podcast. Um, and I encourage you you to do that. But let's go ahead and get right to our uh, our first guest, um, Jason Chaffetz. Speaking of podcasts, Jason Chaffetz has an excellent podcast of, of his own. I think it's called Jason in the House. I'm not 100% sure. He's also a contributor to Fox. Before that, from 2009 to 2017, he was a member of the United States House of Representatives and quickly climbed the uh, climbed the House to become the chair of the Government Oversight Committee, where he really became a known quantity. Uh, he and I became friends and close um, early on in his career. Uh, if you again, I, d- I generally don't encourage people to Google my name in any form, but if you want to do something interesting, Google Jason Chaffetz, Anthony Weiner, and Goat. Uh, he and I got to know each other when we were we found some things that we both agreed should be cut out of the federal budget, and uh, we worked on uh, on trying to do that. Um, he is a very interesting person, someone I'm pleased to call my friend. Uh, welcome, Jason Chaffetz from the great state of Utah. How are you, Jason? Hey, th- thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. It's always good to chat with you. And we did. We had a good time. We were both on the House Judiciary Committee. And I think you and I both wanted to, to find some common ground. Come on, there's something we got to agree on. And there's some things in the federal budget, like those that goat hair that just did not need $10 million a year in subsidy since World War II, that was ridiculous. So yeah, was, I, I think fun. I think it's going to be hard for listeners to get to even figure out how members of Congress were dealing with goat, but not to wear people out with it. But we, we, the taxpayers, Democrats and Republicans alike, citizens of Utah and citizens of Brooklyn and Queens alike, were paying subsidies to mohair growers because back in the day, do I just have this? You tell me if I have this right, Jason. Back in the day, military used to make their uniforms out of wool. And we're concerned that they'd run out, so they subsidized the mohair industry, and we haven't made them out of wool since the 1940s or something like that. Is that basically the shorthand of that issue? That's right. And so we bring it up and say, hey, we got a Democrat, we got a Republican, we, we want to offer this striking amendment to take it out of the budget. But sure enough, a Republican, I, I'm shameful to say, uh, out of Texas, Mike Conway, who had, went on to become the, the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, uh, he he stood up and said, "Oh no 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 no, we need to keep there. People really rely on this. It's just it's that kind of garbage I, that people just they get so frustrated and and so it actually didn't pass. And right. I can't believe if we can't get rid of ten million dollars for mohair subsidies, what are we going to get rid well, of? Well, that's and right. But conservative, it drove me nuts. Well, you're 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 being you're being a little bit generous here because if the Democrats on the Agriculture Committee. I mean, what it basically comes down to is frequently, and this is something you go into in your book, Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. What is true about the way Congress works is that the only thing that kind of trumps partisanship is common interest. And when it comes to agriculture subsidies, they all on the Agriculture Committee, I I fleetingly had a fantasy about going on the Agriculture Committee just to disrupt this, but they all have their own little programs and they protect each other's back. Now, that leads me to, to, to your book, and I, I want to talk to you about this. You know, you, you base, Why don't you describe what is your thesis in this latest book that you have out? This is your third book you've had out. You've had New York Times bestselling 
books called Deep State and also The Power Grab. What is your thesis in They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste? Well, you know, it came after the heels of well, I got to Congress. I met Rahm Emanuel, and he had said this to the editorial board, I think it was, to the Wall Street Journal. And, and it's just I give him a lot of credit for actually highlighting this, that, yeah, you, you, you have a crisis. That's how you get a lot of things done. Things that would never pass otherwise suddenly become an opportunity to slam through things that individually would never get in, uh, get a vote. And so we just chronicle a whole history of how they do this and where they do this. And, you know, since the 1974 Budget Act, it's only one time, one time since 1974 has the appropriations process gone through what's called regular order, where every member can stand up and offer an amendment to strike something, to add something. And, you know, it gets kind of I think it was Harry Reid who famously said, you know, you'll never lose an election over process. And I think that's a shame because I think if the American people understood on both sides of the aisle, because it goes both ways, it's not just a right thing or a left thing. But if you do that, if you look at it, the the process is broken. And so you have these continuing resolutions. You have this omnibus. You have all these things that suddenly, if you don't know leadership and you can't push, you know, a Nancy Pelosi or a John Boehner at the time and get your stuff in that bill, guess what? It ain't going to happen. And that's why we're $30 trillion in debt. But is it limited? But is that an example of corruption or hypocrisy? Or is that just politics? I mean, let's take the example of crime today. Isn't mm-hmm. the GOP doing a similar thing? Crime is up. They're using it as an argument to, for, to increase police spending. There's a war. That's an, a reason to increase defense spending. Isn't this just politics? I mean, is that, isn't that just the way it's supposed to be, that you use the opportunities that moments create to make an argument for your pet project? Well, and the heart of the book is using examples and saying, okay, here's a crisis. Um, you know, we got Ukraine or we have COVID. But why is it when we have Ukraine or COVID or something that as a nation, we all agree we need to rally around and We've got to appropriate money. First of all, we don't do contingency buddy, uh, 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 funding and planning to set aside for that rainy day, which we inevitably know will happen year after year. I mean, are we going to have another hurricane? Yeah, we're going to have another hurricane. But they, the hurricane is a really good example. Sandy hits and goes into, uh, you know, takes out a huge swatch of, of New York. We have to have funding. I voted in favor of that bill. Unfortunately, That was Homeland Security decided, hey, we're going to go buy a whole bunch of vehicles, not for New York, not for New Jersey, nobody that was hit by Sandy. And you just go after the list and you see the billions of dollars that was in that Sandy appropriation, the Sandy relief appropriation, had absolutely nothing to do with Sandy. And you can say, hey, that's just good politics, but it's not. It's disingenuous to throw up one vote and say yes or no. And if people would fund the things we need for schools, for other things, but they throw all this other garbage in it. That's what I think is just wrong. Well, we're talking to uh, Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress, now uh, author of Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste. Uh, we have to go to, a, to a, 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 break, a break shortly. Hopefully, Jason, you can stick around. But let me ask you, sure. one of the examples that you made is one that's very near and dear to the heart of New York residents, and that's the state and local tax exemption. Um, right. And tell me how that fits into your, into your argument and in your book. You, 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 you devote some time to it, and it's very interesting 
Well, I disagree with your your thesis. Tell me what your thought is. Well, the state and state and local taxes. Why should the good people of Utah have to supplement what is going on in a high tax state like New York? We happen to have a lot lower taxes, a lot less expense. We shouldn't have to do that. So because you have exorbitant taxes, you shouldn't get a credit to take that off of your federal taxes. That 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 doesn't make any sense. So the cap of ten thousand dollars, personally, I think it should be down near zero. But this cap, I, I, I just fundamentally disagree with. Well, listen, we're going to head to to a break. But before we do, I'm going to read you a statistic from from Jason's book here. It's about the salt and salt. Uh, the salt is the state and local tax deduction. Many people in this listening audience wind up taking that deduction. Eighty six percent of the benefit of salt deductions go to the richest five percent of taxpayers. Uh, the only problem is, and we're going to talk about this on the other side, that's true of many, many, many deductions that are in the tax code. And I'm going to ask Jason on the other side whether he thinks we should get rid of those as well. Stick with us. We have Jason Chaffetz and we have John Fassel later. And, of course, Curtis Lee will coming up at the top of the hour. Stick with us. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Well, welcome back to Left vs. Right. I'm Anthony Weiner, hardly a heavyweight if you've seen me. I'm barely a welterweight. We're, we have a Jason Chaffetz on the phone, best-selling author, former member of Congress, former uh, member uh, chairman of the House Oversight Committee. Uh, coming up soon, uh, John Fasso will be talking to us about redistricting. And at the top of the hour, Curtis Lee will be um, uh, stepping in. He has been very kind to let me do this hour on my own to try to Learn the radio, learn doing interviews, learn the breaks. And uh, I really want to thank him for that as well. And he's going to be coming in. Uh, uh, Curtis is going to be doing his own version of the first 100-day report card for Mayor Adams. Um, and he's also apparently going to nominate me to be the CEO of Donald Trump's new social media app with all of my obvious skill around social media. But Jason Chaffetz is with us. I appreciate you you sticking by. I, I don't want to get too deep into this idea, but I do want to point out, you know, we here in New York, as you make the salt, uh, this, the uh, state and local tax deduction, one of your targets for your thesis in your book, that, you know, New York does pay a disproportionate amount of the now. We, get, we pay more out in taxes than we get back in services. And if you believe that we should get rid of the SALT deduction because it is regressive, that it goes to the richest 5% of taxpayers, that's true of lots of deductions. Maybe we should get rid of the the, the reduced tax that we have uh, for capital gains, for example. If that's the rationale for doing it, then perhaps there are other deductions we should take away from those who are the very wealthiest in America. Hey, if you want to join arm in arm with me and get after a flat tax, I would still keep a mortgage deduction. I would still keep um, a charitable deduction. But I think a flat tax is the most fair thing you can do. I was one of a few Republicans on the House floor who actually voted to get rid of uh, a lot of these petroleum and energy uh, subsidies. I, I, don't, I, I don't think at this point that the oil and gas uh, companies needed you know 
subsidies. They were doing quite well back when we had that vote. So um, they drive me nuts. They pick winners and losers. Um, I happen to think that the capital gains tax actually provides the right kind of incentives for investment and growth in the country. But if you want to get it simple and you want to get it fair, just do a flat tax. You know, have a certain rate, a lower rate, up to maybe $50,000 in income. Have another rate that that graduates up to maybe 200000 and then just have a flat tax. If you're a billionaire, then you pay that tax when you have your actual income. And if you make $100,000, you pay the same rate. Have everybody pay the same rate. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that there's really – that the tax system, you can have 100 or 200 rates. Everyone – people just look on the chart for what they pay at their amount. I have no problem – with with um, Jeff Bezos playing, paying a higher rate than a guy who drives a bus or Jeff Bezos paying a higher rate than you or I do. I don't think that rates – you know, look, let's face it. It doesn't matter if you have 50 rates or five rates. You only care about the rate you're paying, and that's just about putting your dollar amount in and you pay that amount. But I think I, – I would agree with you on the one thing. I would agree that if you had a room full of average Americans who are Democrats, half Democrat, half Republican – Probably in an hour, they can emerge with a consensus right, right. on how to make the tax code fair. No doubt about it. Exactly. Let me exactly. let me ask you a, 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 I want to do a couple of like lightning round questions with you from from your podcast, Jason, in the house that that, that you've been touching on. But before I do that, what's going on with Utah? Uh, it's a state that produces you, someone who always got along well with Democrats. You're a very conservative guy, and you can you can be as partisan as the next guy, but. You've got Mitt Romney, who has earned the ire of his party. You have a governor there who, when he ran for governor, did an ad with his Democratic opponent um, and has been criticized in some corners of this radio station for using various um, pronouns that, that, that some people find too woke or whatever the complaint is about it. Tell us a little bit about what the Utah way is. I've heard this written about and, and spoken about. It seems that you guys, in addition to those things— also, don't seem you don't seem to be as pro-Trump a state just based on the numbers as some other conservative states. So how do you explain it? Um, Trump did quite well here. I mean, if you look at the vote, um, we have not um, uh, voted. Th- let me go back. It was a very Democratic state, um, almost exclusively Democrats, until the abortion issue came up. And this is a state that is very much pro-life. That has a lot to do with the religious um, convictions of a lot of people, but our state is changing. We get a lot of Californians, a lot of growth. We have one of, I think, the lowest unemployment, and we have some of the fastest growth that's going on. Um, They like their independence out west here. Um, They got a libertarian streak with a lot of people. And people truly do vote, I think, based on the individuals. So um, I think... There is a general um, frustration, particularly from the Republicans, which dominate this state, on Mitt Romney and Governor Cox. These are not things that they campaigned on, and suddenly they are taking a very hard left turn, and that's frustrating a, a lot of people. Um, but, you know, it's it's like every other state. You, you have some people that end up doing exactly what they said they're going to do, and you have some people that wow, I, that's not what you said you were going to do. And and the voters get to, to make decisions. Both of them happen to be up for re-election in 2024. If you primary Mitt Romney, would you beat him? I, I have to, I'm not going to project like that. I have said I am a definite maybe and perhaps running. But right now, honestly, 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 I love my relationship with Fox News. 
I left Congress in the middle of my term because I was tired of the flight, and I, I love my wife, and I miss my kids. I was jealous of guys like you who could go back to New York and then run back down to D.C. real quick. Me, I got, you know, four and a half hours on an airplane ride to get back home. So um, I think I'd do quite well, but I'm not going to, you know, put a guess to that. If you if you were to run, when would you have to decide? Um, You know, you've got to pretty much decide in the fall of 23. That's about mm-hmm. right. So you, you have some time. You let me know if I if you need me to endorse your opponent. That should basically <laughs> put you over the top. All right, let me, you know let, what, though? Yep. You know what? I, I want to say this really quickly. I I touted the fact that I could work with Democrats and find common ground and get things done. I worked on criminal justice reform. I worked with you on on getting rid of waste, fraud, and abuse. And the you know, I, there are things that I think play really well here. And I never shied away with the idea that hey, I'm just a purist. No, I, I don't think that gets it done. If you want to get something done, I take the Ronald Reagan adage that, say, if we can get 80% of what you're trying to get to, do it. Put your hand out and work with a, you know, somebody across the aisle. I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, well, we're talking with Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress, author of the book Never Let a Crisis Go. They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, by the way. That pronoun refers to me, the Democratic Party, and progressives. Uh, Jason Chaffetz, it's, it's on the shelves now. You can get it on Amazon. He's... Uh, also got a podcast, Jason, in the house that, that I would recommend you go listen to. Let me let me I mean, I, you know, your last comment made me think, though, even in the brief time that you left Congress and certainly since I left Congress, departing from the orthodoxy, five percent is heresy right now. I probably and it's definitely in your party, probably in my party as well. And I remember when you were the chairman of the House Oversight Committee and I had many beefs with what you were doing. I wasn't there any longer at the time. Um, but there were very often times that even members of your own party and even the White House were saying, hey, you should be investigating this, you should be investigating that. And you stood up to them and said, I'm going to investigate the things I think that I should be. And then and you, you reflected the views of your committee. Nowadays, I think it would be harder. If, I think if you were to tomorrow retake the gavel of the House Oversight Committee, I think you would find it tough to function because there's almost a 100 percent necessity for fealty to a conventional Republican line, isn't there? I I think it would be tough. I think the frustration, particularly, it was highlighted with Donald Trump and beyond. It, it continues today. I think Republicans look at traditional mainstream, if you will, whatever you want to call it, the traditional and even social media, and they don't think that they get a fair shake. That the that those outlets are in the bag for with the Democrats, and they shut people down like the New York Post. And, and others that have stories that are legitimate stories, and Twitter shuts them down. And so they feel like they're constantly on the defensive that side, and that you, they can't trust anybody because they just don't get the same type of coverage and aggressive media that, that, that comes towards Republicans and conservatives. What is the number one cable news outlet by viewership in America today? Oh, it's not even close. It's Fox News. Right. So how can you possibly make the argument that you don't get your view out or you you get shut down in any way? How does that even make sense? I think the view gets out. I think this is why. I think the rest of America hasn't figured out why is Fox News so dominant. But if you look at ABC, CBS, NBC, you keep going down the list, Twitter, Facebook, the suppression that happens online and the lack of coverage by the New York Times and the Washington Post – Come on. I know you talked about Hunter Biden last week, but they're a year and a half late to this game. And to shut it down and say it was Russian disinformation, 
they didn't have anything that actually said that. Uh, and, and they should have challenged those 51 intelligence officers and gone after those former intel people and gone after them. Well, so hold on a second. First of all, I mean, media, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's far bigger than Fox. Well, let me let me just this clarify. You know that when the New York Post ran their story, that the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, all the major newspapers did do stories about it. There was absolutely no comparison to what was going on. They did not dive into it. And there have been stories after this, story after story after story that would be on the cover of Time magazine, that would be on the cover front page of the New York Times. And they did not cover did, it. Oh, did, yeah. did, Maybe we put something on page 29. I know, no. They, they did stories about the Post coverage because, as you know, the Times and the Washington Post were not given access to the laptop. You're aware of that, right? They were told no when they asked for it. I'm just telling you, the disparity between the stories and what was going on on MSNBC, CNN, all those other outlets I'm talking about, they did not run of that story. Of course, they didn't They didn't run that story because they didn't have the laptop because this clerk that emerged a month before the election when the Russians had had attacked our country just four years before using this disinformation, you know, would, if you were an editor of a newspaper and someone came to you and said, listen, I'm a partisan for Hillary Clinton, I have this laptop that was left in a store, it's a month before the election, I'm not going to show it to you, but go read this liberal newspaper that wrote about it. Would you put it on the front page? Well, they didn't dig on it, D'Anthony. There's no way over the last year and a half you're going to tell. I had personal stories about what was going on with Hillary Clinton that I could tell you where the New York Times had information from the chairman of the Oversight Committee. They actually gave them documents, and I had that reporter come back and tell me, uh, they're not going to run it because you know what? This is not good for Hillary Clinton. And uh, my editor will not let that, it out. Look, that that type of that's that's an, an interesting story. But like in this case, I mean, look, I looked at this pretty hard, and I went back and looked at all the stories that were written during that that period of time. Within three days, the Washington Post wrote a story. Within two days, the New York Times wrote a story, and they all said the same thing: that this is what is being reported in the New York Post. We don't have access to these documents. And by the way, the Trump intelligence community was warning about the exact this type of disinformation and then the one kind of eyewitness to it all this guy Bobolovsky uh, uh, Bobolinsky he takes his huh? his material goes to two places two conservative places he goes to Fox News and he goes to to the Wall Street Journal both of them write stories saying we've looked at the text messages and they don't connect conference. they don't With connect all takers that's not true conference. that's not true he went to Tucker Carlson and he when NBC it. called up and said can we see your your text messages have you ever seen them? I have seen a lot of stuff. I've, I have not seen everything that's in those documents. But Bob Alinsky, nobody the has. Election, did a press conference with anybody who had. But he didn't. To show re- up. He didn't show his what he had. All he said is, "I've got this stuff." Hey, listen, this has been a, been a good conversation. You know, one thing we have to do, you and me, at some point, and maybe we should do it on on your show, or maybe we should you should come back. We have to tell the backstory of the ultimate thing that the history books are going to connect us with, not you being at, at whom in my uh, wedding reception, not me getting bitten by a, <laughs> by a goat, not, not you and me trying to, 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 to take the funding from the Institute of Peace, but how my laptop turned into a press release that you put out that fundamentally changed the way the 2016 election go. You and I really were 
I mean, I was in rehab at the time, but you, you and I really are going to be kind of footnotes to the 2016 election, um, and we might have changed the course of history. How does that make you feel? Yeah, we should probably talk about that. <laughs> How about that for, for, for leaving it at the end? Listen, I really want to thank – I've been talking to Jason Chaffetz. I really do encourage you to go out and get, get the book. I, I am in the process of writing a rebuttal book at this time. Hopefully I do half as well as Jason has done. Um, Jason, I really do appreciate it. Congressman Jason Chaffetz, author of Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. I really appreciate you sharing your views with us today. I hope we get a chance to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Anthony. Take appreciate care, buddy. It. Thanks. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Well, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Anthony Weiner. Curtis Lee was coming up at the top of the hour. He is loaded for bear because first 100 days of Eric Adams, there have been all the report cards out there, and uh, Curtis is going to offer his report card on Eric Adams. And also he has an idea that I should be the new CEO of Donald Trump's social media company that is struggling a bit. If you'd like to get in on the conversation at 77 WABC Talk Radio, 800-848-WABC, 800 848 9222. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now on the line, we we have a really interesting issue that is going on here in New York City and in New York State. The congressional redistricting goes on every 10 years, and probably no one in the entire state knows it better than our next guest. Um, Joining us is John Faso. You, if you have been paying attention to New York politics or New York governance over the last, heck, it's almost 20 years now, although he looks very youthful. Uh, John Faso served as a member of Congress for one term, but he was perhaps best known when he was the minority leader of the New York State Assembly. And he ran for controller in 2002, ran for governor in, in 2006, has been basically one of those civic leaders of our state for um, for a couple of decades now. And it's my pleasure to have him join us because he is the person that is quarterbacking the Republican legal fight to throw out the the district lines that have been created well, I'll let him explain it. John, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Anthony. Great to be with you and your listeners here on a rainy Saturday afternoon in upstate New York. I'm not sure if it's uh, raining in New York City, but it's still, it's still feeling a little uh, wintry up here. Well, it's uh, from, from my understanding of, of weather up there, it's going to be wintry till mid-July. But I appreciate your checking in. This is, <laughs> this is good, good radio weather, as my friend Curtis tells me. So basically exactly. set the table for us. Every 10 years we do the census. It's in the Constitution. One of the reasons they do it is they have to make sure we all have one person, one vote. And so they draw districts based on that census. A, dist- a, a census was done. New York had its lines drawn. What's the problem and, and, and what is the, 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 the solution, do you think? So, uh, and and one other little factoid is that uh, because our population is not kept up with the population changes in the country, New York is going to lose an additional congressional seat uh, after 2022's election. So we will go from 27 House seats in, in the House of Representatives to 26. So obviously, with that game of musical chairs, uh, the lines had to change anyway. 
and uh, to adjust for population shifts in the state and also the country. So to set the table, back in 2014, uh, the late great Mayor Ed Koch had led an effort to try to make the redistricting process, how the state legislature draws those lines in New York State, which is very political, obviously, but to make it less political, less partisan, and to lessen the opportunity of those in power to rig the lines through a gerrymandering type system where they design the lines to benefit one party over the other, Ed Koch led an effort. And the people responded, the legislature adopted a constitutional amendment that was voted on and approved by about 57% of the people back in 2014. And that constitutional amendment did two things. One, it set up a independent commission uh, to draw the lines and a process for the legislature then to, to consider what that commission did. And the other thing it did is that it put an explicit provision in the Constitution that said the district lines cannot be drawn to reduce political competition, and they cannot be drawn to favor one party or one candidate over another party or candidate. So this is a very strong anti-gerrymandering provision. Most states don't have it, but New York voters put it in the Constitution back in 2014, and it was the late great Ed Koch that was the leader of that effort to bring it forth. So the districts... Right, go ahead, I'm sorry. So just fast forward, the legislature uh, adopted districts on February 3rd. Uh, The independent commission sent one set of maps to the... uh, uh, one set of proposals, two maps to the legislature in January. The legislature voted them down. It never then sent a second set of maps uh, to the legislature. The legislature took over the process and passed maps on February 3rd, and the petitioners, the plaintiffs from around the state, Republican plaintiffs, brought suit on February 4th, challenging uh, both the congressional districts and the state Senate districts. And this matter was brought in uh, an upstate court in Steuben County, where a Supreme Court justice rendered an opinion uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, on March 31, he, he issued his opinion. And that is now going to the appellate process. And so first, it's going to go to a, an appellate court in Rochester, and that'll be April 20th. And at the end of the month, by the end of, May, uh, end of April, this will be in front of the New York State Court of Appeals. Now, the judge in uh, Subben County who considered this He struck down the congressional districts, and he also struck down the congressional Senate and state assembly districts on procedural grounds, saying the legislature violated the process uh, to pass redistricting. And he explicitly found, beyond a reasonable doubt, that the state legislature's plan, which reduces, most analysts say, reduces Republican representatives in the Congress from eight seats to four, that that plan violated that provision that I just enunciated, saying you couldn't draw lines to benefit one party over another. And he found that they had explicitly done that beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's where it is, Anthony. It's it's going to be in front of this uh, appeals judge, the appeals panel in Rochester on April 20th. But let me just just I mean, and putting it in partisan terms, there's a lot of talk about the legislature there. This in partisan terms. Democrats who now control the the Senate and the Assembly, who drew these districts 
for their congressional colleagues, drew these districts in a way that really, really heavily favor Democrats. That's the, the, the short version of this. And the court, to my understanding, has said, wait a minute, you've done so much of this partisan gerrymandering that you violated this constitutional provision that you spoke of. But just so I can be clear, it's a state constitutional provision. The Supreme Court of the United States, haven't they said that we don't have a right? There's not a right to have nonpartisan elections, right, to nonpartisan districts, right? The legislature is within there. They're following what the Supreme Court said you're allowed to do. You're allowed to do partisan gerrymandering, right? Isn't that a a permitted act by state legislatures both here and across the country? Yeah, you're, you are correct, Anthony. The Supreme Court a couple of years ago said this is not a matter that we, the, the federal judiciary, properly can handle. This is a matter they left open the door and they, in fact, invited state legislatures and state courts to weigh in on this question of partisan redistricting. So you're correct. It's not a federal case. It's strictly a state case based on state constitution. And I would point out that there have been a number of states this year, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and also Maryland. Just two weeks ago, a judge in Maryland threw out a redistricting that the Democrats in Maryland had passed over the veto of the Republican governor, and it forced the legislature to come back and and pass a less partisan plan, which is really what our hope is here. Well, first of all, we're talking to John Faso, former member of Congress, now the lawyer representing, if I, I think this is right, representing the Republicans in in the state legislature and the Republicans in Congress in their effort to reverse this uh, this uh, uh, the districting that has been done by the Democrats in the state legislature. Let me ask you, it, it, since this is now getting punted back to the state courts to be basically the final arbiter of this, the Supreme Court said we don't want to have any conversation about this anymore. Let the states work it out. Isn't this having the effect of further making the state courts seem like partisan entities? I mean, let's face it. I think you took this case in Steuben County because it was a more conservative jurisdiction. I think the Democrats are trying to get it before more liberal or Democratic judges. Aren't we now just kind of further infecting the judiciary with partisanship under the guise of redistricting? No, I, I, I wouldn't argue that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of sometimes when the press writes a story, they'll say, oh, well, the judge in Steuben County was a Republican and and therefore inferring that's why he made this decision. I think the, the judge in Steuben County actually was extremely fair. He found mostly for the plaintiffs. He didn't find entirely for the plaintiffs, though. We had alleged partisan gerrymandering in the in the drawing of state Senate districts. And the judge did not find for us. He said we did not find prove that beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a high standard. Um, and and now let's face it, most of the appellate courts in the state are are filled with judges who were appointed by Democratic uh, governors. But I I think we make a mistake when we automatically assume that judges, despite what their political political lineage might have been before they assume that role, they swear an oath to the Constitution. And this is the first time, Anthony, that that judge in Steuben County, that was the very first time any judge in this state had ever interpreted that 2014 constitutional amendment. It's brand new law. I'm, I'm, I believe the judges going to look are going to look at this fairly. The appellate judge who who rendered a, a procedural decision yesterday on this case uh, happened to be a Democrat before he assumed the, the, the role of an appellate division judge. 
So I'm not worried so much about that. I think the important thing is that the people should pick their politicians. The politicians shouldn't pick their voters. And that's what happens when you have an extreme partisan gerrymander like we have in New York State. And just to explain to people exactly how they did it, they basically took four seats, four seats in the House of Representatives, and they jammed them and stuffed them full of as many Republicans as they possibly could find. And that means the adjacent areas become more Democratic. And every place in the state, every single district where we had a competitive district, they made it more Democratic. Is this, so uh, the Democrat- is this similar to what the Republicans did in the state Senate in the 90s and 2000s? Absolutely. And before we had this role, this rule in the Constitution on partisan gerrymandering, it has long been known that the Assembly, which was controlled for many years by Democrats and the Senate controlled by many years by by Republicans, that they would each pass. They would each draw lines that benefited their party in the Assembly and Senate, respectively. Then they'd put them in one bill and they'd pass it. And I. I, I was minority leader in the assembly, as, as you reference, and I've, I've seen this done. But that's one reason why Ed Koch led this effort. And, you know, a lot of people are dissatisfied with what's going on in Albany. They don't like bail reform. They don't like the level of taxes. They don't like some of the policies that we see stopping the growth of charter schools to give more opportunity for disadvantaged kids in, in, in New York City and other places around the state. They don't like those things. And they say, well, why doesn't the legislature listen to us? Well, one of the reasons is that you've got these entrenched majorities now that are often, in my view, under the control of special interest groups that aren't really considering the broad public interest in our state. And and you look at what they did with bail reform and some of these other things. Um, Candidly, I think most people are frustrated by it in our state. But one source of their frustration, even though most people may not realize it, is the way in which political districts get rigged in New York to reduce political competition. Well, well and, and John, that's what we're we are, trying to overturn. Well, I'm, 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 we're wrapping up with John Fassman. I'm going to let you get the last word. But let me just say, you know, for years yeah. in the House of Representatives, the, the House of Representatives, Democrat, Republican, proportional representation did not reflect the country because Republicans had done a great job of redistricting around the around the country. To, to maximize and, in, in fact, uh, increase their representation beyond what the population was. And it seems to me that citizens have two maybe conflicting imperatives. One is to have fair representation in fair districts in the state, but also to have a fair representation in Congress. So New York does dovetail with that. Like if we can if, – if, if by doing this redistricting, as partisan as it might be – it gets us to balance in the in this in the federal legislature. So we finally have Republicans represented by the same percentage that they are in the population. Democrats, likewise. Isn't that something worth doing? Well, you know, Anthony, my mother taught me when I was growing up, two wrongs don't make a right. And if we have specific rules now in New York state that the voters adopted that said they don't want this to happen and what some Democrats may do in Illinois or what some Republicans might do in Texas or another state doesn't affect the ability of New Yorkers to say how they want their their government to be run and how they want the political process to operate. So New Yorkers said we wanted to clean up the system. They adopted this constitutional amendment. Unfortunately, my Democratic friends in Albany adopted a partisan gerrymander that I think violated our Constitution, and I'm hopeful that the courts will will 
reflect that. Either the language in our Constitution means something or it doesn't. That's fair enough. John, listen, I appreciate you being with us. We've been joined by John Faso. I'm so glad that you are still part of the conversation here in New York State. I disagree with you on stuff, but you've always been someone who practiced the craft of governance and politics with a lot of class and a lot of dignity, and I appreciate you joining us here on 77 Dewey BBC. Anthony, great to be with you, and I'm, I'm glad you've got this voice on WABC to, because your voice is important in this process as I well. I appreciate it. When we come back, we will be joined by uh, your friend and mine, Curtis Sliwa. We'll have a couple of final questions, and any callers who want to get in, the lines are filling up 800-848-WABC, and we go out with a little Joe Jackson. The left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Well, welcome back. I'm Anthony Weiner from the left. Curtis Lewa from the right coming up at the top of the hour. Curtis will be doing his own 100-day report card on Eric Adams, and I'll be telling him where he's wrong. And we're also going to see what we can do to help Donald Trump with his Truth app, which seems to be having some some troubles. As you know, if you have trouble with your social media, you definitely want to turn to Anthony Weiner. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. The board uh, has some calls on it. Let's take a couple of them. Let's go from Jim to from Glen Cove about the laptop from hell. Sorry to keep you on hold so long, Jim. Thanks for sticking with us. Oh, hi, Anthony. Hey, Jim. Anyway... On tape, on film, on January 23rd, 2018, there was a Council of Foreign Relations discussion with Joe Biden. He stated, When he was the VP, he stated that he would hold up $1 billion in loan guarantee for the Ukraine unless the prosecutor who investigated Burisma, who Hunter Biden worked for, was fired. Quote, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch, he got fired. Right. And do you know what the prosecutor, why they wanted him fired is because he was not doing enough to investigate companies like Burisma. If anything, Joe Biden, and by the way, this he was joined by the U.K., he was joined by other countries. It was the policy of our country. He said it right out loud. If you think that, that, um, uh, that Hunter Biden was uh, having some kind of undue influence over Joe Biden, and thank you very much for the call, Jim, then what Joe Biden was saying was you've got to do more to crack down on corruption, and Burisma was was not doing enough. The guy that was in there, the prosecutor they were trying to get rid of, was a a pro-Russian guy that was in the way. It was not helping Hunter Biden. If anything, it was bad for Hunter Biden. Next, we have Chris in the Catskills calling about redistricting. Thanks for holding on for you. Yeah, you know, with with New York State, the demographics, as soon as you get more north, central, and west um, of, say, Ulster County, Columbia County, those are your two pockets of more Democratic enrollment. All the other counties are more Republican enrollment, unless you have medium to large cities or college town cities like Ithaca or Binghamton. So it's very hard to, you know, gerrymander or pernect correctly pronunciated gerrymander these districts uh, without taking that into account, you know? That's exactly right. It's it's the obvious, you know? Funny, I know John Faso. Uh, Last time I saw him was almost three years ago, the end of May, 
I had the center cut in a ribbon cutting at the town farmer's market. I had been an elected official trying to get back in, and it was the year he lost. I'm a Democrat. I didn't realize, but uh, people didn't want to stand around him at the time. And then I came back. I was talking to him about health care, about the hospital problems. Uh, the hospital in Hudson, New York, and the one in Kingston, New York, don't have uh, good ratings and reputations, and there's funding issues with uh, Medicaid reimbursements and uh voter had come up to him and started like really yelling at him. And she said, I know you, you give him health talk. Having, we were having a substantive conversation, but um, you know, he broke that down, uh, you know, quite well. Obviously he was one of the two yeah. attorneys that handled the case. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris. Look, you're exactly right. At, at a certain point, the rubber hits the road. The people are where the people are and their partisanship is what their partisanship is. A lot of this is a downstate phenomenon because you can do things like connect Staten Island to Park Slope and make a Republican district into a Democratic one. But when we come back, Curtis Sliwa will be telling me where I'm wrong, and I'll be telling him where he's wrong. But frankly, we might be agreeing because today the Yankees and Mets are both undefeated. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Uh, excellent job. Excellent job, Anthony. I didn't get a chance to hear the whole hour. I'm like stung God here. Uh, but what's this music here? Because this ain't really doing it for me, Anthony. You gotta wait for it to wait for it to crescendo. This is actually a fascinating song. A guy named Ryan Adams wrote the song called New York, New York. I wanted to use it as my walk on music in two thousand five. But if you listen carefully to some of the lyrics as a good staffer will do, there's some reference to drug use in Tompkins Square Park. But the interesting thing about this song, he made the video for this song. On September 7, 2001. Mm. And it prominently features the World Trade Towers. And um, if you go look look for it on YouTube, it's a, it's a valentine to New York. It's a, a love song to New York. Um, and it's a little bit heartbreaking because, uh, you know, a few days later, obviously, we would be attacked. And he had to decide what to do, and he left it as it was. Remember, that was a time that any sure. any portrayal of the Twin Towers, everyone was on real high alert for. Even some movies were editing it out. We had it in the uh, logo of WABC back then, and it became a raging debate because I, along with some others, said, no, let's keep it. It's a reminder. Uh, But management, I think at that time uh, we were Citadel, uh, decided that they would uh, remove it. And so it was no longer depicted in what was the WABC logo at that time. So we weren't alone, as you had mentioned. The the, the two uh, World Trade Center towers were a fixture in so many promotional items. Well, also in the movies, when a movie at the beginning wanted to position it as being New York, after a while they stopped showing the Empire State Building, the Twin Towers were so iconic that in like the opening sequence, okay, we're in New York, we understand now. So you look at movies in the 70s and the early 80s, it's they're all over the place, and I don't know about you. I still it's still jarring a little bit when I see the image, you know, um, even if it's just in passing in the background of a background scene. But but that uh, now that, the, that, the that, other reason that they don't use the Empire State Building is because if you try to use their image, 
They hit you with a charge like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. You you would think, what? Am I buying the, the nation of Monaco with this? <laughs> Just to be able to uh, use this iconic figure in the background of any kind of promotional item, you have to pay. I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, it happened with me when I was uh, over at AM 970, The Answer. Four years I'll never get back in my life when I left <laughs> WABC. And so they were doing a new promo, and I was on the rooftop with the Empire State Building in the back, and, you know, with the algorithms, they pick that up. They pick that. They can pick anything up nowadays with algorithms, which will lead eventually into us talking about former Donald uh, Trump's um, app system, social networking. But they picked it up, and then they immediately said to the company, well, here's a bill for $185,000 wow. for using the image of the Empire State Building in your promo. And guess what? Uh, Salem Communication decided, Curtis, you're a person of no consequence. We are not <laughs> spending that kind of money for you. I knew that I had made a mistake at that moment leaving WABC, right, which has right. always been my place to be. By, by the way, how's your son doing? I know last week uh, he was trying out for the travel squad of his hockey team. Yeah, over at Chelsea Piers, the Cyclones. He, he, made the, he made what's called travel light, which is, frankly, better for his mom and me because he now has only one game a weekend. He's thrilled. Um, I'm a little bit surprised and also thrilled. He's been, look, there is probably no experience that's more formative in a young person's life than organized sports. You you develop a relationship with a group of teammates outside of school. That's a whole different social group. You develop a relationship and respect for par- for coaches, which is a little bit different than your teacher. You know, a coach will tell you, go do 10 push-ups, and a teacher will, you know, hold your hand. And so I'm really thrilled about it. He has really shown a lot of growth around it. I'm very proud of him. Uh, but thanks for asking. It's, it's, it, he, he made the team. It was tough for me to do the show last week because I was texting furiously with his mom who had the, the job. To, he, they actually had to ask someone else to do his skates. That's still daddy's thing. I still am able to do his skates up. But um, he's thrilled. I'm thrilled for him. I'm really proud of Jordan. Good, good. Uh, tomorrow I take Anthony, my oldest son, to the blessing of the rides in Coney Island which, uh, as you know, last weekend was the start of the season with the Cyclone, uh, 95th anniversary, the greatest roller coaster ride ever created. Uh, and tomorrow for the kids, uh, all the kids' rides open up, so they have the blessing of the rides, and it really sort of gets that part of Brooklyn back on track. And we'll see if the crowds will once again flock to Coney Island because when I'm sitting there and I'm watching the kids on the rides, you know what they're going to have to where, especially if they're like uh, under the age of uh, five, going to have to wear masks, which I just. There's a mask requirement at Coney Island. I don't. Is that right? Are you pretty, sure about that? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. I, I'll know for sure. I'll correct myself if I'm wrong by next week because I'll be there tomorrow. I mean, in, look, I, there, in, in some of those rides, you can't go when you're under five. I get it. I mean, you, the you mask guys, you are looking for a fight anywhere you can find it. Now you'll be able to find it at the. At the amusement park, but uh, hopefully by then we won't have a mask requirement. The, as Eric Adams did his 100-day victory tour, I noticed he did not call into any of your 17 appearances here on WABC. Of he course didn't not. Call in to do his one. He, he he did call in with Bernie and Sid. They I thought did an excellent job with him. Um, they bent but didn't break. They pushed back pretty good. But he, uh, in just about every place he appeared, someone did ask about the mask mandate. This, I think, is getting under his skin a little bit. Um, well, he- it should. It should. I mean, here it is. You have mothers outside every day with their little toddlers. 
saying remove the mask mandate. He gives no rational reason why he wouldn't do that. Well, don't say he doesn't give a reason. They're the only unvaccinated population. That's the reason. So we're going to continue to keep masks on kids who almost never, never come down with COVID. Well, you also have the other problem, which is the more complicated political one with the parents who want their kids to be masked. So good. Let them be masked. You give them choice. You want your kids to be masked? No problem. You want them double masked, triple masked? No problem. Then you have the problem. See, this is complicated. Governance is complicated, Curtis. Then you have the problem of teachers having a group of kids doing one thing and then not another group not doing the thing. And that's a difficult thing because you're trying to teach them about rule following, about responsibility and these types. Of, look, this is not easy, but it's also, I mean, honestly, aren't we done fighting about masks? No. By the way, did you see the story in the newspaper? We didn't put this in the rundown anywhere. These airlines that dropped their mask mandate because they were permitted to are now seeing so much absenteeism because of COVID in, uh, strikes among their crew that they're having to cancel flights, that a distinction has emerged now between airlines that still have kept the mandate and airlines that have dropped it. And the ones that have dropped it are seeing increased absenteeism because the masks do help and their crew is starting to to see absenteeism. So these things are complicated, but I ultimately believe that we basically almost reach a consensus here. If it weren't for these (laughs) five-year-olds, if it weren't for the five-year-olds, we would agree it's time to let the mask be something. If you want to wear it, you can. They're still on the. I don't have a problem. I still keep one in my pocket for when I'm on the M15 bus or on the four, five, six in Lexington. But, but look line. at it. You you look at the buses. You look at the subways. I'm on the subways every day. Teenagers are no longer wearing the mask. They're not wearing the mask. I don't care if they're white teenagers, black teenagers, Hispanic teenagers. You look at them. They're coming from school, and you see that a predominant number of them are not wearing masks. Adults are. But not teenagers. So, again, it's sort of like, knock it off. It's over. Be done with it. Well, We're the a, last big city to get back on track. I, I think you're right. I think the, the only thing, and I keep returning to this, the thing about the true, the youngest of the young kids is that we always do things that are kind of extraordinary to make sure that they're protected. We do belt and suspenders with them, and that's what masking is. But it sounded like Eric Adams was tiptoeing away from that also. I well, think because he's getting clobbered. He is. I, I mean, mean he, look, he, he had fired uh, the woman who was part of the law department who was leading the demonstrations. He claims he knew nothing about it. Come on. Ironic that she would show up at a press conference, ask him a question about that. He took great insult to that, and within three hours, she had an email. She's pregnant with two kids. You're fired. And he claims, oh, like Punch's pilot. I knew nothing about it. Yeah, I knew you know nothing what? That, that might be, and I don't know the facts around the, that. I just know what I read in the newspaper. That might have been her supervisor at the law department killed a bazooka with a, killed a mosquito with a bazooka. That was probably, you know, I, I, always, I always think like protesting, even if you're being obnoxious at a press conference, is not a fireable offense. You know, maybe you should have your boss call you in and say, listen, that's our that's the, the mayor of the city of New York. You know, don't do it or more do it in a different way. But I think firing people for stuff. And by the way, I think demanding people to be fired is far too often a tool of uh, that people use. You know, a, a secretary of agriculture does something stupid. I demand that he be fired. All right, let's take it easy here. You know, like I think firing someone should be that's that's the nuclear well, especially option. Anthony, look at this. A mother pregnant on maternity yeah, leave with two doesn't other children. She shows up at a press conference. Now she was let in. The press conference took place indoors. It's not like, you know, you show up and you're on the uh, right. periphery. And she asked the question at the very end, respectfully, 
Uh, he answered the question, meaning uh, the mayor, Eric Adams, but you can, t- you can see he took issue with it. He took umbrage with it. And then two hours later, three hours yeah, later, an email, right, you're but fired. It was, a, it was a press event. We don't know the backstory. We don't know if she characterized herself in some way that was dishonest to get into the room. But I'll tell you, this is a funny thing. Um, Huma went to uh, a play that premiered this week. Par- I want to say Paradise Alley. Oh, I, I yeah. It was a and the, she was getting heckled because Mayor, she didn't understand why. She says, what are you yelling at me for? Apparently, Eric Adams also worked the, the red well, carpet. Well, not just Eric Adams. Who it, else this was there? Was, this was Joe Crowley. Yeah. Uh, crooked Joe Crowley from but Queens who had invested in this. Let's take it easy. But what does that have to do with the protesters? The protesters are there for Eric Adams, right? We agreed on that. Not just Eric Adams. You know who also attended? Who? Bill de Blasio and Charlene. Oh. They got booed because people okay. were screaming, where's the money from Thrive? Where's the money from Thrive? So uh, Huma was going through a gauntlet. On yeah. one end, you had Eric Adams getting hammered because of the mask mandates. And then you had uh, de Blasio and Charlene getting hammered because demonstrators were there saying, where's the money from Thrive? The one and a quarter billion dollars. Right. Absent knowing those two people were there, I had no idea what to tell her. She's like, what are they yelling at me for? And I'm like, I have no, no idea. No, it had nothing to do with that. Right. It was she had uh, the, the, the holy duality of Adams and de Blasio that got it. The protest magnets. Well, and in fact, I was so happy to see. Notice this is like a split card. You had the one woman uh, who uh, serves up beer and dirty water hot dogs at, uh, I'll always call it Shea Stadium, City Field, who was told that you can't work because you didn't get vaccinated, even though she had put in for a religious uh, exemption. Uh, All of a sudden, the Mets determined that she could come back to work through the private company that they outsourced this to. On almost the, the day after, a similar situation at Yankee Stadium, as one of the vendors, uh, I believe a female, sued the Yankees claiming, wait a second, what is this double standard? You mean to tell me a woman, a vendor, serving up uh, beer and dirty water hot dogs in the stands at City Field is okay, gets an exemption, but I can't get yeah, an exemption private, in Yankee Stadium? a private employer is different from someone who nominally works for the city. That's a city park. Yes, there are different rules for different types of employees. It, of course there is. It's all kinds of times that you have standards for employment in a private company that are different. Now, the thing about Yankee Stadium and City Field, and I too am implied, uh, like to call it Shea Stadium from time to time, they're city parks. So it, it, there is a difference. Now, if she wants to go to work for, the, for a private vendor, she'll find that the, the rules are going to be different there. Yeah, meantime, yeah. Aaron Judge is out there. Now, no vax, you know, breathing in the air, breathing on other people. And apparently turning down a $230 million contract, too. Yeah, look, look I, I feel no pain for him, totally. no pain for the Yankees whatsoever. <laughs> but the interesting thing is it leads us into what happening. Uh, opening days for your beloved Mets. And I'm not so uh, much a beloved uh, Yankee fan. I think I described it before with you. And I'll never, never get an answer to this. As you know, George Steinbrenner Sr. had always wanted Kate Smith singing God Bless America, seventh inning break. Everybody gets up, they stretch. Great song. I mean, it just attaches you to the tradition. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 2019. So we're not talking the riots, the demonstrations of uh, the Floyd summer of 2020. They yank, God bless America, Kate Smith. They say, oh, well, in some of her early songs in the 30s, she said some really racially insensitive uh, remarks. 
Then they tore her statue down in front of the Philly Spectrum where the uh, Philadelphia Flyers were playing. Yeah. Because she was an iconic figure in Philadelphia. And now she's relegated to Wildwood, New Jersey. Every morning you wake up in Wildwood along the boardwalk to the Jersey Shore, and it starts off, you know, as they raise the flag, God Bless America by Kate Smith. That's it. She's like persona non grata. And the Yankees did that. And I said, who? Was there a petition? Were there protests? Why did you do it? Can't even get an answer to this day. And I'm saying to myself, that's it for me. Uh, I've lost my my love of the New York Yankees, which goes way back to when I was a little kid. Way back yeah, to when well, I was a little I, you know, kid. You know, we're a show here, left versus right. I think that the Yankees are the right the right wing team here. You know, it's like rooting for U.S. Steel, rooting for the New York Yankees. They're hold, on, the, hold on. They're the well-to-do you know, money or moneyed organization Hold that on. buys their way to the top, and the Yank and the Mets are the working class outer borough. Your your owner, Stephen Cohen, should be in jail for insider trading information. <laughs> He's a whale <laughs> down on Wall Street. You can't pay you me. You talk about money, him. money, money, True. money, money. I- By the way, uh, a step up from the Will Ponzi's uh, who got involved with Bernie Madoff, the biggest ripoff artist in the history of America. I know, but at least in that case, they were the victim. I mean, Cohen, I'm not going to defend Cohen. Well, I want to ask one question because I didn't have a chance to follow up. Uh, I saw there was a beanball war at Washington National Stadium last night to game two of the Mets series down there. What was this all about? Because I really hate it when any ball players throw a baseball at somebody's head having been hit three times with a baseball playing through Pony League, through high school baseball, through American Legion baseball. I said, what the hell are you throwing at somebody's head? Do you realize you're throwing 90 miles an hour at somebody's head? Well, first of all, all all pitchers are throwing more inside than they ever did before. But he wasn't throwing at Lindor. I hate to say he he wasn't. I I know that everyone has to do the performance of coming out of the dugout and waving. And some of it was they were throwing up and in, in in the first game. But look, the, the the pitcher said he went and apologized to the guy after they get the Lindor after the game. Not every time someone gets hit in the noggin, like these guys are dealing with four inches of space between a pitch that's right down Anthony, Main Street Anthony, and a pitch that hits have somebody. You ever, have you ever been hit with a baseball right in your head? I have not been hit by I haven't been hockey pucks, but no, I've never been okay, hit by a baseball right, so, right in the head. Yeah, Right, but you have a really solid helmet on. You see those baseball batting helmets. No, they're not going to protect you. I, I, I get you. I, I think there is this thing, though, this performative thing of like st- taking umbrage. You can look, you can look a little bit and tell if there were. I, I didn't believe it at the moment. You can tell the the pitcher's body language whether he's throwing at the guy or not. I know it's dramatic. I know it's colorful. I know it gets us all. You know, we want more excitement. It was up in to baseball. me. Out you go. You're out of the game. You throw at somebody's head. You're out of the game. Because headhunters, you know, there have been quite a few baseball you, players. Wait a minute. You, you, you mean if you hit someone in the head or you throw at their head? You throw at their head. Well, that's the point. That in, in this instance, it certainly didn't appear to me that this guy oh, was the ball aiming slipped. at the guy. What? Head. He didn't have that super grip? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> like our, our Yankee ace, Cole, the super <laughs> yeah. grip. Notice, he doesn't have that suddenly, super grip suddenly anymore. Suddenly not so much anymore. And he gets rocked out of the park. Suddenly not so much anymore. Yeah. So, uh, but this is a good day. I don't know how many Saturdays we're going to do a show where we you could be able to say the Yankees and Mets are undefeated. Yeah, let me tell you something. I, I no longer have that uh, love of the Yankees that I used to have in growing up. Bring back Kate Smith. God bless America. Seventh inning break. We never got an answer for that. Anyway, up next, it's report card time, right? I imagine you're going to be giving lots of A's and B's to Eric oh, Adams. A few A pluses. I'll give you the subject. You'll give me the grade. A few A pluses. 
the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. You know, Anthony Weiner, I forgot one thing in talking about baseball. Is that our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis, our parent company, Red Apple Media, are also the owners of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, which will begin their, sta- uh, their season soon at what used to be called the old Staten Island Yankee Stadium. I've been there a few times. They just signed a female player. And let me tell you something. Following uh, the stats of Kelsey Whitmore... Coming out of San Diego, grew up playing in California year-round. I think this woman can compete on the diamond with any guy. She is incredible. She goes to the opposite field, great fielder. She she can multitask. She can hit the ball a mile and a half. I I have a feeling that Kelsey Whitmore is going to climb up the ladder. This is an independent league, but I think once they see her playing against guys in Staten Island, they are going to be amazed at what a great ball player she is. Well, you'll also, look, I think it's like the equivalent of split season single A. You know, you can go and see a Ferry Hawk game, and you can look at the 18 folks on the field. I was going to say guys, but now there would be one. And you can pretty much know you're going to see someone who will be at, at, in, in the show at some point. Like, that's been the record of, of, our, of our, our local uh, minor league teams. Um, but that is exciting. It's going to get a lot of attention. I have been petitioning, John, that we should all do remote shows out at the stadium just to kind of because there's nothing like minor league baseball. It's a fun experience, and it's going to be great. The Staten Island Ferry Hawks, hopefully a lot of folks turn out, and hopefully they have some success. Well, the great thing about it is you have a view of the harbor in the background. And it's a piece of cake to get there from Brooklyn, from Manhattan. It's right on the other side of the ferry. Um, it's it's a real fun day, and, and there's a lot of like fun places to have lunch right there by the ferry landing. So hopefully people come out and watch. Look, look, I've followed baseball my whole life. I've seen this woman in action, Kelsey Whitmore. She's the equal of any man at that level in this independent league. She is going to shock and surprise some people and might well end up becoming the first woman that is ever added to a major league roster. Not, you know, not just uh, for... Uh, the uh, newness of it. Yeah, they, they, but this, because this she can be actually a, compete. Yeah, she's got five tools. She, she, this is not, not a stunt. She's a real player. Real player. But meantime, it's time for us to give a report card. All right, so here we go. Here we go. So I've got the four categories, the four subject areas on this report card. And I want you to give Eric Adams 100 days. Uh, pardon me, 100 days is the traditional time. He's go, doing the victory tour. He's given wait, himself. Wait, victory tour. He's, I was going to say he's given himself A's and A minuses and everything. Well, sure, he gave uh, Bill De Blasio a B plus. Well, so don't here you we remember go. in my last debate, he gave That's Bill right. De Blasio a B plus. Well, I remember. So now it's a chance for you to do some grading. Here are the four subject areas. Sure, okay. And you're going to tell me A through F. You can give them an incomplete if you feel like it. But we're trying to figure out where he stands. And here are the four categories, the four subject areas. One is crime, obviously. He said it was his number one priority. I think most of our callers would agree. This is something that you, I think, agreed in the, in the first debate was the number one priority. Two, attitude slash departure from de Blasio. That's the second area. Third is COVID, his COVID response. 
put anything in that that you want, whether it's uh, mask or um, or returning from uh, from the downturn. And the fourth is his appointees, the people that he's put in in the 100 days. Now just about every office in government is filled, basically. And there are now it's not other people's people. It's his people's people. And so go ahead. You start wherever you want. Why don't wow, we start? You, you, you missed a few topics there. That, you think that there would, are more? Would, yeah, that would up his grade with me. I mean, well, nightlife. Well, I kind of put wardrobe, attitude slash BDB. That's where I travel. Kinda... <laughs> okay, that's not that's not a cat. We're going to put those all. Under... How about we add those uh, categories? Why don't so? we put those under attitude? And you can go ahead and riff. You can do the the jazz that only you can do about that subject. I mean, I think that one of the things that citizens wanted was a departure from the De Blasio sense. Oh my God, I hate being here. I'm late. I don't really like this job that much. You got to hand it to Eric Adams, and I don't want to step on your grade. You go ahead and give him the grade. You got to hand it. That's a different attitude under Eric Adams. It's a different whole different attitude, way to do but it. it's like uh, if you're in a race car and you're spinning your wheels at the start uh, of a drag race. He he spins his wheels a lot. There's a lot of motion there, but I don't see much action. But in terms of being more visible than Bill de Blasio was, who was uh, in his bunker and always doing those uh, COVID uh, updates. I would say, thank God we're not getting those COVID updates each and every day. So I would give him a B minus in terms of his uh, visibility. He's all over the place. It's just he's spinning his wheels. That's, you're very close. He gets an A for this. He gets an A for this because he's out there being a New York personality. He's out there. He's going to nightclubs. He's going to theater openings. He's showing up at at, at uh, homeless shelters in the middle of the night. He seems to be everywhere. You might not like his policies, but you got to hand it to him. He is leaning into the job in the in a very Ed Kochian kind of way. That whatever policy things you might have, he is no Bill De Blasio. I got to no, say, whenever it? whenever I would watch De Blasio, maybe you disagree with this. I'm like this guy. It's like he's getting a root canal. Like this guy does not seem to be enthusiastic about the job. I think Eric Adams is so. Enthusiasm, you give him a grade of A for enthusiasm. I do. Even though the thing that he said he would deal with right out of the box, I get stuff done. Crime is skyrocketing all, all over right, the place. All right, let's hear his grade for crime. D. Absolute D. He hasn't delivered. The bottom line is look at the analytics. There are more crimes being committed now. There are more shootings. There's more violence in the streets and the subways and the parks and the uh, schools than we had at any time during the eight years of Bill de Blasio. Now, how do, how do all of a sudden you, you say, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I should give myself an A? And by the way, who the hell ever let somebody give themselves uh, marks? <laughs> uh, when, in fact, the stats are out of control and you got these teenagers getting shot all over the place. Well, but now, now crime is up everywhere. Crime is up in New York. It's, crime started going up before he walked in the door. But last few weeks, now that his new commissioner has got her feet on, on the ground, arrests are way up. Arrests for guns crimes are way up. The stuff that he can control, going out, doing the sweeps on the subways, having, having officers on, on the subway platforms more frequently, arrests are, are, are way up, particularly arrests for gun crimes are way up. Plus, he went to Albany. You said that he struck out. He said that he got the back of the hand. Instead, what he came back with was changes that were manifested in the state budget that are going to close the loophole for no cash bail. I think he gets a B for this. A B? Wow, you're like uh, Eric Adams giving de Blasio a B-plus for his eight years in office. You really believe in social promotion, don't you? I believe. it's. I'm not, and I'm not grading on a curve. I By think the he's way, done a good job. Uh, you know he's in Albany today. 
with all the shootings that are going on all over the city, all these teenagers getting shot every which way. You think you think he would have left Yankee Stadium yesterday when the 16-year-old got shot with the other two kids instead of styling and profiling in the stands? You think he should have stayed here? You know what he's doing in Albany today? For the full day, he's learning about cannabis, reefer, marijuana, you know, how to take out the stems and seeds, how to roll. That's not what he's working on. Now, that's not what he's working He's working on the idea of making sure that if, if this business comes, and I have some real reservations of it, make sure that as this building business becomes part of the New York State phenomenon, revenue start coming in New York City has its say on where these things go, how the tax revenues are divvied up, who gets to get these licenses. I got to tell you, this is going to be part of the mayor's job for the next four Anthony, or eight years. Anthony, you don't need to go to Albany. You go to the Lower East Side, not far from where you live on Stanton Street. You got all these <laughs> storefronts that are illegally selling uh, recreational use marijuana. And you know how they get around the law because it's not official yet. You have to do it from a licensed dispensary. Right. You walk in there, you buy a videotape uh, or you buy a CD. You pay for that, and then they give you a nickel or dime bag free as a gift <laughs> in your swag bag. That's all the mayor has to go down there, and they'll show him, yo, this is this is a blunt, okay, this is a spliff, uh, this is the different gradations. He doesn't need to spend an entire day in Albany. Well, I, could, I, I could take him around your neighborhood. All right, so you, you give him that. As, you know, by the way, as we do these grades, we should let the callers uh, get in line to get their grades, 800-848-WABC, 800 848 Nine two two two. The next category, the next subject matter, um, is his COVID response. You got to admit, COVID, the COVID is down. Businesses are open. Things seem like they're really turning around. And of course, all of us, except for a few, have their masks off. Anthony, have you been down to those pot dispensaries on Stanton Street in the Lower East Side? You are in a drug-induced psychosis. It's a dispensary, not a dispensary. A dispensary. <laughs> By the way, these office buildings are empty. Because he still has the vaccine mandates in place, and he's still attacking workers who refuse to get vaccines. Notice 60% of the office space empty. We're the last big city to recover. So I'll tell you what, I give him a, a C- on this. Well, I think the COVID response has been excellent. I know that we had that flurry of, of interest around what was going to happen with a basketball player at, Bar- at Barclays Center. But overall, the proof is in the pudding. The amount of our hospital beds being filled up is at a a record low level. The amount of infection spread is low, although there's still some reason to be concerned. Our schools are back open. Teachers are back teaching. Businesses, look, ultimately they're going to be their own decisions, but getting back to his attitude about things, he has been beating the drum Uh, to get people to come back to the offices. Where are the truant offices? Like 40% of the kids aren't even attending school. You you notice that? But we're grading what Eric Adams can do and what he has done is is positioned us, and he has basically said, I want people to come back. Well, let me up his grade here. Uh, First of all, the guy has a wardrobe that will knock your eyeballs out, A-plus, uh, he has custom-made suits and Ferragamo shoes. No mayor has ever had that. Nightlife, he's always out at night. Zero Bond Club, uh, Sugar Hill in Brooklyn, you name it. He's raising the roof to the wee hours of the morning. I give him an A-plus for nightlife. And travel, he's already been out of the city in the first 100 days, six days. I give him a B for that because this guy loves to travel. Tra- well, representing us in Washington, representing us in Albany, if you want to call that travel, I think he's done a good job with that. But what about his appointees? Has he done a good job making appointments? You like his appointments? Look, they were all the people you know from the corrupt uh, Kings County Democratic machine, starting with Frank Caron, his chief of staff. Come on. You know the history of corruption there. 
You used to battle them. You were the reformer, Anthony <laughs> Weiner. Those are bygone times. Those no, are bygone times. All of a sudden, they cleaned up their act. <laughs> the reputation. I am shocked that you think that there is corruption in the political oh organizations of New York. God, you used to be the guy screaming I'm, about the I'm, corruption there. That's not, first of all, it, this isn't a fun day. There hasn't been corruption in these organizations in a long time. I know they become, you know, it's a cliche to say that political organizations are corrupt. But frankly, what you want, I say frankly with tongue in cheek, Frank Carone, Frank Sedio, these guys, are, I think the, the people that he's appointed to these jobs are high-quality people that are doing, so far, Did doing a very good Frank job. Sedio? I grew up with Frank Sedio and Canarsi on Frank 89th Frank was a colleague of mine and a friend. Yeah, they made him a judge, uh, and they had to defrock him. A surrogate court judge. Actually, from what I understand... This guy wanted to be have more action. You, sorry, court judge, you're dealing with a lot of. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, sure. You keep thinking that, people. Anthony. You used to be on the other side attacking That's these guys. That's not true. We were we were Tony Genovese Lanzman oh going God. against Tony how we called it. Tony Genovese again, right? Uh, Stanley Fink. We were the reformers. Meet Esposito. Oh God! All the Brooklyn County Democratic leaders, most of them went to jail. Meet Esposito, Clarence Norman, Lopez, the perv, and the crook. Come on! Look, all I can tell those are bygone years. That when when you forget. Frank said he was a leading reformer back in the day. Tony Genovese was the out, you know, he was the out guy against Stanley Steingut. You know, he was not the in guy. Uh, now, you, event, you know, uh, he was the out guy against Howie okay. Goldberg. All right, all right. Like Our these, numbers, one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Title 42 up next. We got to discuss this because there seems to be a bipartisan effort, unusual, on the Hill to prevent the Biden administration from rolling it back. Not solving any problem, that's for sure. Right here, Curtis Lewa on the right, Anthony Weiner on the left, as we're, we go from local to national to international on WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Oh, God. I'm getting depressed listening to this song. Is this, what? Is this your choice, Anthony? Sign cannibals, rolling gifts. Oh, my God. Now, what happened to immigration, man? Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, that's right. That wasn't yeah. on your playlist. The 1970s call. They want their playlist back. By the way, uh, we got to go to the border. Uh, this is an interesting question. Because there's a queue in Tijuana coming into San Diego, Juarez into El Paso, and Nueva Laredo into Laredo. Those are the three big entry points. And a lot of the Ukrainians, those that could get out, have flown to Mexico City and worked their way up to the border. So they're queued up with all the other uh, um, migrants who have come through to Mexico, and they are appealing for asylum. Should they get priority treatment over, let's say, those uh, who are leaving El Salvador, Guatemala, or Honduras, or Mexico, uh, Anthony? Well, I, look, first of all, I, I honor you for setting this up the right way. The people who are at our border at these stops are people who are coming in lawfully, legally. They frequently are conflated with people who are coming in here illegally, who are trying to avoid the line, who are trying to climb over a fence, who are trying to sneak in. All of these people are coming here to express the ultimate 
American ideal of we are a place that takes the huddled masses. We are the place that you can turn to. If you believe in the idea of us being a country that grants asylum to people who are being persecuted, then I, I then it's the people at the at that line that you should say, OK, we have to figure out whether they're true asylees or not, but they're doing it right. These aren't illegals, as people have said. These are the people who are doing it. All right, illegals. so they're in their queue. They're coming from all different countries, Haiti, Nigeria, Central America. The only way to know who should go first and who should go second is to, in some orderly way, process them. You get them in front of an administrative officer for immigration. If they need to be in front of a judge, get them to sorting out the people who clearly don't or should not be there. Don't hold people in cages. If if you believe that they're going to come back for their hearing, give them a hearing date and have them come but back. But that's the point. Title 42, if you roll it back, would now release them into the United States. You would transport them to wherever it is they want to go. Uh, they'd be given uh, one of these Obama cell phones. Remember, they used to be given out by or the not, government. Or, or not, or just told, come back at a certain time. You know the percentage of people that apply for asylum that come back for their hearing? 96.5%. People come back. People want to follow the rules. You don't stand for days and weeks and months at a checkpoint if, 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 I, you, were not, if you were rule breakers. Well, give me, let me give you an update. So you got the autocratic leader of El Salvador, the young guy who was into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. He looks good. He wears nice suits. But he realizes MS-13 controls his country. So he's just done a major sweep. He's picked up 8,000 gangbangers and put them into gulag prisons. So if you happen to be a gangbanger in El Salvador, which is, has the biggest uh, uh, murder rate in the entire world and the more, more gangs per capita, don't you think you might want to flee to the United States and claim, oh, uh, asylum, and then once you're into the United States, disappear? So they like, just slip through the cracks. Right. So... If you are coming to the United States and you say, I want asylum because I'm a gangbanger. No, no, no. You're no, not going to say but, that. No, but in order to – you see, what happened under, during the Trump years is that they created such a sense of chaos by not hire, hiring hearing officers, by locking people up in cages, by not hiring administrative officers, by not hiring judges, that this sense of chaos put everyone all into one – so if we had a terrorist or an MS-13 guy in that big group, we would never be able to find them. What the Biden administration is saying is, listen, let's try to do this in a more orderly way. If we have a woman coming in here with a couple of kids who clearly is, is, is escaping persecution, then we, are, we can figure that out so long as we process them all. It's going to be human beings in front of them, people who, who try to figure out who's good and who's bad. Will they get it 100 percent of the time? No, but I'm pretty sure they'll be able to tell a gangbanger from a mother with a couple of kids. You really think so? This is Traditionally, they have. <laughs> traditionally, they have. So, I mean, look, part of the problem with our immigration policy right now is what is it doing? It's keeping people in the country, not out. We have 13 and a half million people who are here undocumented, okay? They're working. Not 100 percent of them, but most of them are working. A lot of them would like to go home and come back, seasonal workers, would like to go home and visit, visit their, 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 their lawnsmen south. Well, we don't let them because we have this crazy system to get uh, to- back totally in. Totally understood. But now we have a crisis in East Europe. The Ukrainians are coming. The president has said we'll accept 100,000. You know they're going to be more. Everybody wants to come to America. Why wouldn't they want to come to America? So you're going to have Ukrainians on their own, without being flown over by the government, raise whatever resource they can. They fly to Mexico City. They take the bus up to the border, whether it's uh, uh, the border at El Paso, uh, Laredo, or Tijuana into San Diego. And they say, you know 
that we're seeking asylum because we're under a death watch. Do you give them a priority treatment because they're in a war-torn country? I believe you do because of how easy they're going to be to say, okay, they're clearly a refugee. Whereas the the ones I described earlier, it might be, you know, just because things are economically not great in your country, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a refugee. So I think I would or I would at least have a segregated system to process them since we know the situation there. Plus, I believe now there is so much so much activity around placing people that I think it'd be easier to place them in ways that we know that they'll return for their actual hearing and we know that they'll be able to get integrated into the United well, States. Well, why, why are some Democrats jumping on board in this bipartisan effort to try to stop the Biden administration from rolling back Title 42 at the end of May? Politics. They're from, they're from Arizona. Yeah, but also they realize their midterm elections coming no, but up. I, but I'm saying it's politics. The politics of Arizona Democrats is not that different from Arizona Republicans. You know, border issues are different things when you live well, on the border. If, if we, at taxpayer expense, are flying people under the cover of darkness into uh, Republic Airport uh, out in uh, Long Island, Westchester County Airport, don't you think we, the taxpayers, ought to be told that X number of immigrants are being uh, shipped into this county and then dispersed throughout the community at this airport why? overnight? Why? Why? Yeah, why? Well, because we're paying for this. Yeah, but we're, we're paying when they're, they're shipped no matter where they go. Where they're flown in, they've got to be flown somewhere. They yeah, can't but just, they, shouldn't we be told the numbers? Why? What do you mean, why? Well, why, well what is the difference? Because they're, they're illegal at that point. They're not illegal. Stop saying Wait that. Wait a minute. How are they illegal? They are not. They're, they're going to. They're on a plane. They haven't had an asylum hearing That's yet. right. They, they, but they're following the law. They're following the law to be let into this country. You are, you are, they've done nothing illegal. They've done everything legally. They've done exactly what so we want say, everyone let's to do. Say we go, and when we talk about our founding fathers, and I always hear this from, from my constituents, well, my founding fathers followed the law and did it legally. That's what these people are doing. Wait, they We're don't not, have a sponsor. They don't have a sponsor. These are, these are people who are following the process we've set up for refugees. We're not flying but people But you just mentioned in. the old way. The old way was if you showed up at Ellis Island, you had to have a sponsor. You had to have somebody who would pay for you, all if, of these, you were, if you were indigent and couldn't support all yourself of and these your family. People, all of these people are going through a process that is very similar to the way that it was. All I'm saying to you is to characterize them as they have not violated any law. They stood online. They waited at the gate. They, get, they got processed. And now they're, they, they have to wait somewhere. All right. Somewhere. So now in this line that's very long, you see in the back of the Ukrainians – and they claim, hey, look, we're leaving the war. You move them to the front well, of the line. Well, no, I think what I would say, and, and I'm working this out in real time. I hadn't thought about it. This is what's great about, about talking to you is you make me think about things I hadn't before. I think the difference I would say with them is given the fact that figuring out from an administrative perspective whether they're true refugees is very easy cut and dry when you come from Ukraine right now. It is less cut and dry if you come from El Salvador. It is because some of these people are potentially victims of MS-13. Some of these people might just be coming here because they want a better now, job. How, than how they do you have deal there. with this as a Democrat when all of a sudden you see all the white people being brought to the front it's of the problem. line? It's a problem. You and I have talked about this before. All these people who are wringing their hands about how important it is to, to save people in war zones. Where were they when Syria was being bombarded by the Russians? Where were they when these were brown people? I mean, I think it's a legitimate thing that we should all question as Americans. What does it mean to welcome in refugees? Is it any different than, than if they're from Africa? I think we do handle people differently when, when they're from people that then they're from places that, that we can kind of relate to as being our mishpoka. I, 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 I agree with that. But in this case, as you asked me the question, if you have this discrete group of people that clearly came from a war-torn place, 
Do we process them separately and maybe a little bit quicker? I think the answer is yes. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And speaking of uh, the massive number of Ukrainians who are flooding into all parts of the world, they're going to try to get out of their country, is that at this juncture in this war, it seems that Putin has taken the option, I'm taking the East Ukraine. I'm putting all my resource, I'm rearming uh, my troops, they're going back to Belarus, they're going, and just give me what originally I wanted in the East of Ukraine I'm going to just take that territory, and would that be a time that we say, let's wrap it up, because this this war could be drag on forever and ever and ever? You know, we have a tendency to look at things as kind of like straight narratives, and I might be doing that when I say this, but it does look a little bit like he was bombarding the West, the West of the country, bombarding Kiev, launching these terrible attacks on civilians— because maybe all along he was saying, let's just let's just pursue these, pursue Donbass. And maybe this was his plan all along to make us say, oh, my goodness, at least he's only moving back back into the east. It's not our decision, but I mean, it's not our call. And I, I think that ultimately Eve, what he's serving to do is take even these Russian language speaking parts of Ukraine and turning them against Russia. Even people that might have had it in, you know, maybe a little bit of the back of mind. You know, I kind of like the Russians. Um, I've got, I've got, I've got family. I speak Russian. Now he's terrorizing those parts of parts of the country, and I think it's a mistake. I don't think the Ukrainian people seem to be getting harder. To, uh, hard, it becomes. It seems like it's getting harder and harder to think about a diplomatic way out of this because he's just doing so much harm to even what you would think might be his political allies in Ukraine. Well, but remember, this is the Dick Cheney approach to our invasion of Iraq. Hey, don't worry about it. The Shias, who are the majority, who are the oppressed, they're going to be welcoming us with flowers. They're going to be waving American flags. Yeah, with IED explosives. (laughs) Right, right. What a disaster that was. So I think Putin had this same belief system. We roll our tanks through. Nobody's going to object. They're going to realize we have overwhelming force. We take Kiev, we install our own puppet regime, and everybody falls in line. That didn't happen. So now he settles for essentially what we've settled. Baghdad, right, behind all these bomb barriers, right, where we run our operations in Baghdad. We can't even walk into other part into most parts of that country. Right. Well, it's clear the, the you know, everyone says, well, didn't he learn his lesson in Afghanistan? Well, Actually, in Afghanistan, when they rolled into Afghanistan, they, they took over Kabul in, a, in 15 minutes. I think that's what he was remembering is how easy it was to take over the, the nominally the government of Afghanistan. He clearly misunderstood that in, in Kiev. But I, I don't know about you. I'm having a harder and harder time visualizing a way out of this beyond somehow Ukraine winning. Got to be a way out of this because uh, I don't think the Ukrainians can beat the Russians and drive them out of the eastern portion of the Ukraine. They're embedded there. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like they can, but they've held on and shown much more gumption than a lot of people suspected, including our intelligence agents and clearly more than Putin. Itself. And you don't want us to go to war against uh, the Russians, do you? No. Thank God. Uh, 1-800-848-9222. It's uh, Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee. We're here on the right. Exclusive to WABC. If you couldn't hear all of the program, especially the first hour, great interviews that Anthony Weiner had with his guests. You want to go to the podcast and hear it all for yourself and play it over and over and over again. It's the left. 
versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Oh, I really hate this song. <laughs> Is this on your playlist, it Anthony? Is. It is. You're kidding. Dire Straits, come on. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Well, look, uh, I get so many hours to play my music. I, I really shouldn't be uh, stamping uh, all over your but Spotify I, playlist. I want to say something like picking out music for, for radio. You know, you need the good crescendo. You know, my friend Catherine was saying, you start with the jam. I'm like, no, that's too hard. That's too, like, you got to have a nice crescendo leading into it. But I'm, I can learn. Look, look, that, I can is, learn. Uh, that is so NPR-ish. I, <laughs> that is so NPR-ish, Anthony. we got to shake is, you on your ways. This is, look, earlier I was playing um, uh, Mark Knopfler and Emmylou Harris, which is I heard originally on Imus. He introduced me to that. Ah, well, but, he used to play a lot of eclectic music. He would. He would do a lot of, like, um, I mean, I don't even know what to call it. That kind of country and western. It wasn't really country. It was like country western music. But I remember uh, he played the band a lot. The band, which was uh, up in the Mid Hudson Valley. I actually saw him at the old Palladium. You know, we advertised for the new Palladium in Times Square, but the old Palladium, which uh, came on the heels of the Fillmore East and the Lower East Side, not yeah. far from where you live, yeah. was right down Fourteenth Street. And I remember the concert I went to. I bought two tickets. I think it was eighteen bucks uh, throw. The girl treated me like uh, I was uh, a, a schlub. Uh, so I was there by myself, and I go in and I see Tower of Power from Oakland, San Francisco, opening act. Then War from Oakland, second wow. act, and then the band. And man, that was great. I felt I got my money's worth. Now you'd have to take a reverse mortgage. To see three different groups performing on the same bill in a major Unless stadium. Unless you go to a big festival like Lollapalooza or something like that. You're right. It's a very different phenomenon now. And also it's a different, like, you know, you, you'd, have to, you'd have to go wait online to get tickets. Like it wasn't, you didn't have, I mean, I, I seem to, they, it, it, it changed suddenly that, you know, that, that um, like being able to get tickets Used to be a thing you had to wait online for, and then, and that's something that that kids will never know today. Scalpers, scalpers, scalpers. Let's right. go. Let's go to the phones, though. It's uh, Jeff calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC with Anthony Weiner and yours truly, Curtis Lee. With Jeff. Hey, Curtis. How you guys doing today? We're doing well, thanks, Jeff. That's good. So you guys were just mentioning a few minutes ago about you know the amount of refugees and people you know seeking asylum into our you know into our country. This administration and prior administrations seem to be spending money like it grows on trees. When is the United States going to be like in a financial we're unstable. We're 30 over 30 trillion dollars in debt. When does it end? I mean, I don't understand, you know, if I had a credit card with a $20,000 limit, Mastercard and Visa isn't going to say, "Well, you can just keep on extending your balance." Like, where does the money come from? Well, immigration is a net money maker for the taxpayer. Like people come in, they work and they pay taxes and they add they add value. I mean, if you look around the the city of New York, you know, Jeff's from Manhattan, if you look around Manhattan, you look at the number of 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 workers that probably emigrated here. It's a net money maker. Our economy has been booming on the backs of immigration. So if uh, you have a fake social security card or a real social security card, we're going to get that. 
No, uh, I got to listen. This is, some of these things are easy to fix, Curtis. You know, I got to tell you, I think there should be an un an un uh, unimpeachable form of identification to show that you're here legally. If an employer hires someone who doesn't have it, you know, when my brother goes to hire someone and they and they fills out a form and he puts on a social security number, do you know how he can check whether that's a fake number or not? He can't. It's impossible. And by the way, we collect billions of dollars every year from people paying into Social Security on fake on fake numbers. Well, because it's, they, it's not they that hard. They haven't cleaned the rolls up. And, no, it's and, not. It's it's a function of that no one has a desire to because they're paying taxes. No, no, I understand. You know what I'm I, I understand both Republicans and Democrats for different reasons want to look the other way, but I mean, let's face it. Uh, their schools, and maybe not so much in New York City because oh, property taxes don't support the school systems, but within our listening area. Property taxes are skyrocketing because these kids have to get a public school education, and it's it's breaking the bank. I know, but the economics of immigration are undeniably in the positive side, as opposed to what Jeff implies, which is that it's costing us a lot of money. Well, you yes. know, you know what? It's on the positive side. Migration. So many people leaving New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and heading down to Florida and Georgia yeah, and North but Carolina. I, but listen, in a, on a serious tip, you know, if we were to try to resolve the immigration crisis, you and I. Over the course of a two-hour show, we can do it in 20 minutes, 90% of the problem. If the problem is it's the extremes on both sides. On the left, they want to let everybody in. And on the right, they say anyone who comes in is, is amnesty. Somewhere in the middle yes, are solutions agreed. to this stuff. Maybe next week, at same time, same place, two to four Saturdays, it's your place to be. WABC will get into that.